Okay, now because this is uh, Calvary, we have to do this. But, um, and you have to know this. You, have, you can't come here for very long until this is really deeply embedded into your subconscious mind. So here we go. There are those who are going around and they are saying that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. But au contraire, say we, for you see, the word revelation itself means that something has been revealed. Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called it the concealation, but he called it the revelation. It's the revelation. Something that was hard to understand has now been made very, very clear. Now, God so wanted us to read this particular book that he promised for those who would read this book, they would receive a very special blessing. And that blessing is found in Revelation chapter verse Revelation 1, verse 3. Let's look at it. It says, Blessed is he who reads. Now, if you haven't underlined that in your Bible, you want to. And those who hear the words of this prophecy, and in my Bible it says, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, it would be very difficult for me to believe in a God who would say, I will bless you if you read it. There's a blessing in reading this. And I want you to read it, and I want you to heed the things which are written in it. But, but here's the thing. You're never really going to be able to understand it. That would be very, very strange for me to believe in that God. But God knew that there would be people going around saying that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. So to make sure that we understand this book, God has placed in this book its own very special outline, which is found in Revelation chapter... 1 verse 19. Let's look at it. Revelation 1 19. Uh, John is, is uh, c- c- called to write. Jesus is talking to John and he says, therefore write the things which you have seen. That would be the first division. The things which are, that would be the second division and the things which shall take place after these things. So he says there in verse 19, write the things which you have seen. What has John seen up to this point in the book of Revelation? Jesus resurrected. That's what he's seen. You can look down at verse 13 and you have this description of Jesus, we might say in his glorified state, you know, and his eyes are, you know, and his hair is like wool. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a description of Jesus and it tells you that. That's what he's seen up to this point. And then he says, and write the things which are. Now the things which are pertain to Revelation chapters and three. Revelation two and three. It is a time period that you and I would typically refer to as the church age. Yes, Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. In their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, it makes absolutely no sense. But in their order, with incredible detail, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. As a matter of fact, let's just look at one, one of the churches, the very last church in, in uh, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. He says, the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, very interesting, is, um, to, is a compound word in the original language. It's Laodicea, which means rule of the people. You and I live in a church age where, uh, where the people rule in the church. Uh, people actually go start churches and hire a pastor. It wasn't that way for almost 2,000 years, but we live in a very unique time period in church history, unlike any other time period. 
And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, Jesus gives the title of himself and he says, I'm the amen. We would say absolute. The faithful and true witness, the word there is martus, where we get the word martyr, which means it really cost me something. Apparently, this church needs to be reminded of that. And then he says the final thing, the beginning of the creation of God. It's interesting that this last church, Jesus feels, he doesn't, doesn't do this for any of the other churches, but that very last church, he feels like he needs to remind them that he's the creator. He's the beginning of the creation of God. It was God that created it. Now, why does he need to remind that very last church that, that it really was creation? Well, maybe they've bought into another process that brought it all into existence. What would that process be? Evolution, absolutely. doesn't feel like he needs to remind that to any other church in the history, but that last church he does. You and I live in the only generation where people who profess to believe in Jesus believe that we came into existence other than it being the creation of God. Very interesting. We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 19. So he says, Therefore write the things which you have seen. Chapter 1, you've seen Jesus resurrected. The things which are, that's the current age in which you and I live in. It's called the church age. Seven letters to seven churches laying out perfectly church history. And then he says, And write the things which shall take place after these things. The the next division. Now that word, after these things, in the Greek is the word metatauta. Metatauta, absolutely. So after these things, well, when would be the next time that we find that word in the book of Revelation? We find that in Revelation chapter 4, verse verse 1. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, if you haven't underlined this, you'll want to. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, after these things. After what things? Well, after the church age, chapters 2 and 3. Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. After that, something happens. After these things, that Greek word there is metatauta, I look, John says, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of the trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things, after these things. So it's, it's interesting that it's after that church age, John sees a door open in heaven, voice saying, come up here. John goes up. Now, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the word church is is mentioned over 20 times. But what word is now absent from chapter 4, verse 1 to the end of the book? What word is no longer there? The word church. And the reason the word church is no longer part of the book is that it's no longer part of the story. The church at this point we find in heaven. And we looked at that last week, that event that is called the rapture. Now, in the last couple of verses in Revelation, at the end of the book, after the story and the closing remarks, the word church is mentioned, but it's not part of the story anymore. It's, it's been removed from the earth. The church goes up and what comes down? Wrath. And we find that in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Let's look at it. Revelation six sixteen. it says, this is in that opening uh, volley, that opening uh, time that you might call the, the tribulation. Uh, something happens and it says, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, verse 16, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, that would be God the Father, and from the, and if you haven't underlined that word, wrath, wrath of the who? Lamb, underline that, the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath 
has come. We didn't think it would, but it did. The great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so you have the wrath of the Lamb, and uh, the Lamb in the Bible is always, it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Right now, you and I live in the church age. We have the opportunity to receive Jesus. We have the opportunity to experience his grace. There's coming a time after the church age when that wrath is poured out. And uh, we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. If you haven't been here, you want to get caught up and get some of the teaching on that. So you have Revelation chapter 1, you, you, things that John has seen, Revelation 2 and 3, the church age. Chapter 4, the church goes up, wrath comes down. And it's at that point where the word church never, is never mentioned again. So there on your outline, just very quickly, there, there's three events. And we talked about this last week. And uh, the first event, which we find in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we talked about it last week, it's called the rapture of the church. And that's where Jesus comes for the church. Write that down. For his church. It was a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, and we see it throughout the Bible, and we showed a couple of verses last time. But at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples there in your outline, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. So he's gonna, he says, I, I want you to know, I'm not making this up, this is true. I'm about to tell you something that's going to be incredible. So before I even tell you that, um, I want you to know, if it wasn't true, I would have told you. They're all bobbing their heads going, okay, we believe you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, not that we receive him to ourselves, but he receives us to him, that where I am, there you may be also. Where has he been for the past 2,000 years preparing a place? What's in that place you and I would refer to as heaven? He says, I'm going to come, but in that time of coming, I'm going to receive you to me. We call that the rapture of the church. The church goes up, then there is that time period that you've, that's commonly referred to as that seven-year tribulation, That begins in Revelation chapter 6 and goes through chapter 18. And uh, there on your outline, Jesus described that. And he says, Then there shall be great tribulation, such as hath not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, nor ever shall be. Now, I want you to write next to that Daniel 12, that verse. And the reason being, that's going to be important for our study. Jesus is actually quoting the prophet Daniel. And he's quoting from chapter 12 of the book of Daniel. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. It's a description of this time period. Another time Jesus is sharing this, and he says in Mark 13, he says, And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. For the sake, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So, so it's, it's going to be unbelievable, cataclysmic. And, and if you read chapter 6 of Revelation all the way through chapter 18, it describes that. But, but the church goes up before that, and we'll talk about that today. It's after that period where Jesus comes back, and that's called the second coming. Now, the second coming, you want to write this down, is where Jesus comes back with his saints or with the church to the earth. And uh, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians ended with a reference to that, and Jesus, uh, Paul just wrote, he says that he might establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then it says, with all his saints. So Jesus comes for the saints. He receives us to himself. 
There's that time period, typically called the, the seven-year tribulation, however you'd want to term that. It goes by a couple of different names in the Bible. At the end of that, there's what's called the second coming of Christ, where he comes back with the saints, with, with the church. Now, last week, we looked at, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, so far, so good? Yes. So good so far? Okay, chapter 4. And we looked at that event that's commonly called the, the rapture of the church. And that began in chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read through it. It'll be the launching pad into all that we're going to talk about today. Paul says in chapter 4, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. We don't want you to be uninformed about this. There's a lot of things you might be uninformed about, but let's don't be uninformed about this. You to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so as that you will not grieve as though do the rest who have no hope. It's not that Christians don't grieve, it's just we don't grieve like people who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Talked about that last week. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, let me just stop right there. Paul's going to describe how this is going to go down. And he realizes that how crazy this sounds. So before he even gets into the description, he says, I need to tell you that what I'm telling you is not just one of Pastor Paul's crazy ideas. This is something that's directly from the Lord. Just in the way where Jesus described it, he had to say, I want you to know, if this were not so, I would have told you because it's the, the, the uh, most preposterous thing that we as believers could actually believe. The only thing that it has going for it is that it's true. Other than that, it's, it would be something that you'd look on and you go, that's absolutely crazy. So Paul says, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, apparently there's the last generation, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, uh, remember, John heard a voice, you know, and, and a door open in heaven. We saw that in Revelation 4.1. And the voice, like, uh, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And if you haven't underlined that caught up, you, you want to because in the Greek, that word is harpazo, but when the Bible was translated into Latin, it was the word rapturo, from where we get the word rapture. So that, that's where that word comes from. Actually, it's a derivative of, of that word, but we're, we're more common, uh, commonly familiar with rapturo. Caught up, and so we, shall, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds and, and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again. I receive you to myself that where I am, there you might be. So we will be with the Lord there in the air. And then in verse 18, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. This is good news. This is good news for us when this takes place. Now here's where the plot thickens. And uh, hopefully I haven't lost you up to this point. When the Bible was written, when Paul was writing, he didn't say, okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. He just wrote it. About a thousand years later, somebody went through the Bible and, and they put chapter and verse in there. The, now that's there so that I could say, turn to chapter 5, verse 1, and everybody turns to the same place. But when it was written, it was just, Paul's just writing a letter. You know, you don't, when you write a letter, you don't go verse 1, verse 2, verse, you don't do that. And so Paul didn't do that either. 
And the reason that's important is because the story that Paul's telling in chapter 4 just continues into chapter 5. From Paul's mind, there's no break. That The break is there because somebody put it in there a thousand years later. So it goes on, and here's what we find. Paul, in verse 18 of chapter 4, says, So therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then the next thing Paul says is, Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know, and I want you to underline, you yourselves know full well, that the, and I want you to underline, day of the Lord, day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So Paul's just continuing, comfort one another with these words, but, um, you know, he just goes on, he says, but I want you to know as, as far as the times and the epochs, you know, that there's, there's really no need for me to write to you. Verse two, he says, because you yourselves know full well. So the question is, um, why doesn't he need to write to them? Well, he says, because you yourselves know full well. Well, how do they know full well? Well, because when Paul was there and started the church, he was only there for three weeks. And, and Paul felt that this was something that he needed to cover in the first three weeks. So when he says, you, you yourselves know full well, you know, we covered that. I talked about that. We, we went over this and over this and over this. So there's really nothing for me to, to write or to give more explanation because I've already told you this. Now he is going to, to, to write. And so he goes on and he says, for verse two, he says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, um, here's the part that gets us. You have the rapture taking place in chapter four, comfort one another with these words. Chapter five, he just goes and he says, I don't really need to write a whole lot because you know the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, here's the part that that we miss. Most of us, when we say, what is the day of the Lord? We have no idea what that is. But if you have a Bible program on your computer, you go to blueletterbible.com, you just type in day of the Lord. That's all you got to do. And all the references come up for what the day of the Lord is. And there are a number of descriptions, and uh, none of them are good for what the day of the Lord is. So I've put two verses on your outline from the Old Testament, because that was the Bible that they had at that time. The day of the Lord is a very common phrase, but it means something very specific. And uh, this, this trips us up sometimes. There in Joel, he says, there on your outline, he says, for the day of the Lord is near... And it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Now, is that good news or bad news? <laughs> That's bad news, okay? Not comforting. Anybody comforted by that? So, so the comforting thing took place in chapter 4, but the day of the Lord is very different, very different. Then another time in Ezekiel, um, it says, For the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Good news, bad news. Bad news. The day of the Lord is bad news, okay? Um, I didn't have a chance to put it on your outline, but, but just listen to this. Peter, in 2 Peter 3.10, says this. Hear this. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's this... It's, it's, uh, it's, there's a process. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day. It's a time period, and it's not really a bunch of good stuff that happens. So far, so good? So I want you to write this down. 
just so you, you understand it, when it talks about the day of the Lord, it's talking about God's wrath. God's wrath. Put that out. Write that down. So the day of the Lord, that time of God's wrath, when all that's poured out, chapter 6 of Revelation, we read that after the church goes up. And in chapter 6, it says, they said, you know, fall on us, you know, the rocks, who can stand against the wrath of the, you know, the one who sits on the throne and, and the lamb. Their, their wrath has come. So the day of the Lord comes after the rapture. The rapture takes place in chapter 4. And then Paul says, after that, he says, so I don't really need to write you because you know that that's going to come, you know, it's going to come after that. And uh, because you already know this, we've covered it. And also he says, I, I, w- I would suggest that he says, I don't need to write you a whole lot about it because the truth is um, you're, you're gone in chapter 4. So there's not a lot that I need to write you right now about that because you're, you're, you're not going to be part of, of that. So he says there in verse 5, he says, For you yourselves know that the day of the Lord, that time of God's wrath being poured out, will come just like a thief in the night. It's going to come as a surprise to people. And um, it's going to come like a thief, but here's the question. Who is it going to come like a thief to? Well, I want you to notice the, the pronouns here. It says, while they, underline that, they are saying peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them, underline that, them, and suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So whatever this day of the Lord, when it shows up, it's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be a surprise to they and to them. And they will not escape. And what we're going to find is that uh, they and them are very different than you. And we'll see that when we get to, to verse 4. So there's a couple of things in this verse. First of all, when it says, while they are saying peace and safety, most of your Bibles will say that. There, there's going to be these buzzwords in that time, peace and safety. And, and um, there, there's two main viewpoints of this. One viewpoint is that it's going to be in a time period where people are promising, the big buzzword, is that if, if uh, we go in this direction, you will have peace and safety. And, which is interesting, um, not to make too much of it, but since 2001, 9-11, we, we've been very comfortable giving up a lot of rights for the hope of peace and safety, for the promise of peace and safety. Which, by the way, we haven't had peace and safety, but uh, that's a story for another day. So you, you have this. So some people think that they'll be calling for it, but um, the wording tends to imply that, that they will actually think that they have peace and safety, which is why it comes upon them suddenly. As a matter of fact, another way of translating this verse, if we can put it up on the screen, it says, when people are saying, everything is so peaceful and secure, then destru- destruction will come upon them the way labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there is no way that they will escape. There's no way that they will escape. So the, the other possibility is after this period of the rapture, there, there might be that season on the earth where people really feel like, wow, we found peace for the first time. We've got somebody to, to work out all these issues, and then all of a sudden, it's going to kick in like labor pains upon a woman with child. Now, for those of you who've ever seen that or have been part of that. I remember when Daniel was born 13 years ago, we, we went into town on this, this evening and Cheryl didn't think it was going to happen anytime soon. So we went in and we had Chinese food. 
and uh, you know, we're there and everything's fine. Then all of a sudden she thinks, is this indigestion? No, it's not. And uh, all of a sudden things just kicked in. And when they kicked in, the, the interesting thing about labor pains is that first of all, they get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, right? It, very, very intense. When they kick in, you can't stop them. They're, they're coming. And uh, the truth is, you don't get out of that situation until the situation's completely taken care of. So, and you don't, it's not like you can get into labor and go, okay, well, I'm leaving this. No, you're, you're there for the process. That's, that's the idea. At least that's been my experience as I've watched that a, a couple of times. Maybe you, your experience is different. The labor pains here are different than when Jesus talks about as you get to that time, it will be labor pains also where there'll be things going on in the world that become more and more intense. This labor pain is different in that this is the opening of that tribulation period and it just gets worse and worse and worse in that, in that time period, which is a story for another day. And the other thing of that, it says, and they will not escape. The truth is for those who are here, when that takes place, who've not been caught up in First Thessalonians chapter 4, there is no escape. There's, there's no way out. There's no way out. So, so they don't escape. That experience is exactly the opposite of what the Bible describes the experience being for the believer. For the believer, we pick that up in verse 4. Remember, and, and uh, if that's the Holy Spirit, Tom, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call him back. He's probably calling to tell me, now, Dan, you're a little bit off on that low end of the point, but, uh, but we'll work it out later. Verse 3, remember they said they and them, but verse 4 it says, but you, brethren, you see, you're not they or them, but you, brethren, and you want to underline that, are not in darkness, you know, like they and them, that the day would overtake you like a thief. It will overtake they and them like a thief, but you, brethren, this day is not to overtake you like a thief. Um, verse 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. Very, very different than the sons of, of darkness and, and, and night. We are not of night nor of darkness. So, so it's a very different group. One group, they and them, when this happens, no escape. Suddenly like birth pains, uh, like a thief. But you brethren, what Paul says, you know, we, we've gone over this. You, you know this. So it's not supposed to catch you by surprise. The Bible talks a great deal about that last generation. It talks about what things would look like and what things would be taking place. And so I, I want to give you just a couple of, of tidbits and uh, we'll certainly be able to cover more because we still have Second Thessalonians to go through and I think you'll find some of this interesting. Uh, again, you, you brethren is a very different group than they and them. They're, they're going to be surprised, but you're not to be surprised. And they're in darkness, but you're of the day. So, so there's some things that, that we can know that they're not going to know. They're just not going to know. For instance, there, the Bible predicted that there would be a most fascinating event in world history that would be the kickoff, you might say, to that last generation. Israel is always the, the switch on God's timer. And all the way back in the book of Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah gives this prophecy. If you've been around for any length of time, you've heard this. And it says, then it will happen on that day when the Lord will again recover the second time. And I want you to underline second time. With his hand, God's going to do this, 
the remnant of his people, that would be Israel, who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, um, Elam, Shinar, which is uh, Babylon, um, Iraq, modern-day Iraq, Shinar, Hamath, and then it says from the islands of the sea. He will lift up a standard for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel, and he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the, and I want you to underline the four corners of the earth, the four corners of the earth. God said 800 years before Jesus was even born through the prophet Isaiah that he would recover his people back into the land of Israel the second time. When God said this, Israel had not been removed from the land the first time. The first time would come several hundred years later and is what's called the Babylonian captivity. And uh, where Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes all the people out and you have all those great stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all that. Well, sometime later, God's people are allowed to come back into the land. They're recovered. But the Bible says that the second time that they go they will have to be recovered from the four corners of the earth. You see, the first time they just had to be recovered from Babylon. And, and, and that was, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. But the second time they would have to be recovered from the four corners of the earth and from the islands of the sea. Now you have to understand that 800 BC in, in ancient Israel, they had no concept of, of the new world. They had no concept of other continents. Their world was right there. So when it says recovered from the islands of the sea, the distant, the remote places, it's probably referring to other continents, but you don't really have a word in ancient Hebrew for other continents because they didn't know that there were other continents out there. So God says the second time I'm going to do that. So what happened? Well, it was in 70 AD. Titus Vespasian, the Roman general, surrounds Jerusalem and uh, comes in and basically annihilates everything. They, they burn the temple accidentally. The temple gold melts down in between the rocks. They go in, they, they separate all the rocks, completely destroy the temple to get the gold out of the rocks. It's at that time that Israel ceases to exist as a nation. And they, they go into all parts of the world, but there is no Jewish government anymore in Israel the place is actually renamed after Israel's ancient enemies. We say Palestine. Their ancient enemies were Philistine. Philistine or Palestine. Same, same word, just different language. So it, it, and nobody believed that Israel would ever become a nation again. Now, there, there have been people throughout 2,000 years who believed that they would, but many people in the church believed that it could never, they could never become a nation again. I mean, they're, they're not anywhere near Israel at this point. You know, they're living in New York City and Miami Beach and here and there and Spain and Europe and Africa and, and China. And so, so they'll never become a nation again. But in 2,000 years later, in 1948, because God said that he would raise up the standard and he would bring them back in, in 1948... After 2,000 years, Israel becomes a nation again. It's the only nation who has existed outside of its homeland for 2,000 years to become a nation again. It's so incredible that that took place that only God could do that. You don't know of any other nation in the history of the world that has ever done that. Interesting? And so for the past almost 70 years, from the four corners of the world, God's people have been pouring in. The, the, the people of, who are Jewish have been pouring in. 
The Bible teaches that that's sort of the kickoff of that last generation as things begin to turn. We can talk about that in another Bible study. Then the Bible talks about, and I'll only give three today, but um, the Bible talks about there's going to be, in, in the church, in that last generation, there's going to be some, some interesting, interesting things going on in the hearts of those who would be professing believers. Uh, one of the things would be there in your outline, Peter says it like this. Peter says, now know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking and following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, you might want to underline that. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And when they maintain this, I want you to underline, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, underline that, that the heavens existed long ago and was formed out of water and by water. There's a couple of things in this. There's a lot more. We can't talk about everything, but the time period here, Peter says, in the last days, mockers will come and uh, they will be mocking the whole idea of his coming again for, for the church. They'll be mocking that. The word mockers there, some of your Bibles will have scoff, the word scoffers. The word in the original language literally means false teachers, false teachers. These who are doing the mocking of his coming are people within the church. Now, here's why. Because Buddhists and Muslims don't know about the teaching of his coming. And they don't care. But who is doing the mocking? Those who know about it, those who've heard about it, and they're the ones who are mocking this. Oh, you people are saying Jesus is coming back. You know, everything continues as it has since the fathers, probably the early church fathers, fell asleep. And, and uh, as I talk about the end times, it, it's not the world that thinks I'm loopy. It's other believers, other, other Christians who say, you know, if you talk about what the Bible says concerning the end times, they put you in the category of the guy who's standing out on the street corner with the sandwich sign that says, the world is coming to an end, you know, that sort of thing. And you're loopy. And, and they mock this teaching. And Peter says, but don't worry about it because that's what they will be doing. But what I also love is that there's something else in this. Those who mock this in the church, something else happens. It says that tied to this, it will escape their, um, it will escape their notice that it was by the word of God that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water. Apparently, not believing in his coming again is tied to the belief in evolution. Because not only do does it escape their notice that he's coming again, but it escapes their notice, even though they're in the church, that it was by his word that it was all created. You and I live in the only generation where professing believers think that somehow all of this happened by some other process, and it completely escapes, escapes their notice. Interesting? Then there's this other little fascinating passage. And we'll go through more when we get into Second Thessalonians, so you want to be here, uh, unless this totally bores you, which it does not mean. In, in Daniel 12, 
there's this fascinating chapter, and I've taken it, and I've, I've taken a couple verses out of it and kind of condensed it. You want to read the whole chapter. But it says, There will be a time of distress as such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. A few moments ago, I had you write down Daniel 12 because Jesus quoted this passage from Daniel 12, which is a fascinating passage because a few verses later, it says in verse 4 of chapter 12, Daniel is, is receiving this. It says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. I want you to underline until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And I want you to underline many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And uh, then I'll just read the last part. We'll talk about it in a minute. It says, and as for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he says, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. So there in that part where I had you underline, he says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time when many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. That's, that's a fascinating passage because you can translate that a number of ways. One of the ways that you can translate that it says, seal it up so that it will not be understood until the end times when travel and education shall be vastly increased. It used to be that information traveled at the speed of sail and horseback. In 2004, I got on an airplane, and in 24 hours, I was in Beijing, had to go to, to uh, Texas, San Francisco, Beijing, and then two hours after that, I was in a town of Nanchung, and I got Hannah at that point, and we were there for a week, and then we got on an airplane, and 24 hours later, I'm sitting in my living room in Jupiter, Florida. Imagine just a hundred years ago, that would have taken months to get there, and months to get back. We live in a time where travel has increased unbelievably. But also that, that verse says, an education shall be vastly increased. Now, I like um, the phrase from the literal translation. Let's put the literal translation up there. It says, knowledge is multiplied, the time when knowledge is multiplied. It used to be that information doubled every thousand years. That was every hundred years, and you know, then you, you had the printing press, and things began to escalate. In the 1990s, we were told that information doubled every 18 to 24 months listening to Ray Kurzweil's uh, thoughts on the singularity. If you haven't looked at that, it's absolutely fascinating. But information now doubles every six months. And the singularity is the place where they believe that by 2029, information will be doubling so fast that you and I as humans can't even keep up with it. We're just beyond, you know, technology is so far advanced, and it's multiplying faster and faster. Now, what's also interesting, would you agree that, I mean, when I, I grew up, we didn't have microwave ovens or cell phones and computers. And, and you know, my, my first uh, laptop when we started the church was a Toshiba. It had 16 gigs of hard drive. 16 gigs. I'll never use that. Incredible. That's my cell phone. Not that even my cell phone anymore. You know, it's, 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 everything's just like accelerating. Far away from my notes. So, so, so the idea is, is that in this time period, but it's also interesting there on the verse where I had you underline it, that the knowledge of what was going on in Daniel 12 would be sealed up. The idea is that it would be revealed in that last generation 
understanding of these things prophetically would begin to become very clear. Daniel even says there in that last little part of of it, he says, as for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel. uh, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. And what's so fascinating now is now we understand what's being spoken of in Daniel chapter 12 in that last generation where travel and information have increased and multiplied. Interesting? Well, so that's sort of a picture. It's not to catch you and I uh, by, by surprise uh, because uh, it's going to become very, very clear as we get closer and closer and these things become much more clearer. So it's not supposed to catch you and I by surprise. Verse 6 of chapter 5, he goes on and he says, So then, and if that's true, let us not sleep as others do, But let us be alert and be sober. Let us be alert and sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. And the idea that he's speaking here is that, and I want you to write this down, he's saying you and I as New Testament believers are not to be indifferent to the spiritual reality that surrounds us. And if he's telling them that 2,000 years ago, how much more, where you and I live in the generation where knowledge and travel and all that has exploded, Israel has come back into the land. So so we're not to be like those who have no clue about these things because we're in the light and we're supposed to be very sober as we see these things. And he compares it and contrasts it with those who are, you know, they have no clue. They're kind of just passed out uh, there around. Verse 8, he says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate, underline breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, underline helmet, the hope of salvation. Now here, Paul is just saying that we are called to be watchmen. We watch these things as they unfold before our eyes, but we're also called to be warriors. Go ahead and write that down. Warriors spiritually. We're we're not uh, militant. We're just vigilant. But he gives a description here and the description that he gives is as a soldier who's, who's ready, he's prepared, and he's watching. The idea is you don't want to fall asleep on guard duty. How many of you were in the military? Would, it, would that be true? You don't want to fall asleep on guard duty. It is not a happy experience. The idea is you, you've been entrusted. You're supposed to be watching and vigilant. Not militant, but vigilant. Just like a soldier who's ready, at the ready, waiting, and, and expecting, prepared and prepared. So uh, then he says, so be sober. Now, interesting, that word sober there in your outline just means to be calm, collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. The, the idea is that, that uh, we need to be aware of what's going on around us as believers, not like those who are drunk and passed out. They have no clue spiritually what's taking place, but you and I who are of the day are supposed to be very aware of these things. Then he goes on in the very next verse, and he says, For God has not destined us for wrath. And I want you to underline that. He's not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath that he's talking about here is the wrath that we began with in this chapter, the day of the Lord when all that is poured out. We are not destined for that because we've been removed in chapter 4. 
So Paul says, so we're not destined for that. Is that comforting to you? Good. All right. Um, we, we are not destined for wrath. So, so the, the good news, and I want you to write that, is that God's wrath is not our destiny. We might deserve it, but it's not our destiny. The wrath here again is the day of the Lord that he spoke about in the first couple of verses. We're removed from that. So the book of Revelation tells us, chapter one, what Jesus has seen, chapter two and three, the church age, chapter four, church goes up, wrath comes down in chapter six. We're not destined for that event in chapter six. By the way, it's also a promise that was given to the church of Philadelphia in chapter three of Revelation. There in your outline, it just says, Jesus speaking to that church, he says, I want you to know, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And that's a story for another day. Verse 11, we close with this. And the opening word of verse 11 is the word, therefore. Is that what your Bible says? Underline that word, therefore. And here's what he's saying. Therefore, based upon everything that you've just heard, the rapture, you're spared from the day of the Lord, the wrath that's being poured out, you're spared from that wrath, Therefore, therefore, do this. And he takes from chapter 11 to the end of the book to talk about because of that, this is how you as a Christian, as sons of light, are supposed to live your life. And we will talk about that next week. It's Father's Day. I'm two minutes over and uh, we're just gonna close in prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and just how these things become clearer and clearer as we get closer and closer and how you've allowed us to live in a very unique time period where we've seen Israel become a nation again and almost 70 years old. And uh, not not that that, you know, is... uh, Not that 70 is, is that significant number, but that we've just seen that generation begin and we see all these things taking place right before our eyes and you've called us to be vigilant and sober and circumspect as we look and i pray god for each and every person who calls this church our church home that we would live our lives in keeping with the time period which you've allowed us to live in and i pray god that you would give us understanding as we go forward as we trust you i pray for anyone here who's not entered into that relationship with you up to this point If that's anyone here today, you just simply invite Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, anything that's been a barrier between you and him. Invite him to step in. And he promises that he will, and he promises to never leave. And if that's you today, your life can be forever changed by inviting him in. Father, I pray you keep us on this Father's Day weekend. Keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.